What does Fleetwood Mac, Tom Petty, Barry Manilow, Pat Benatar, Rage Against the Machine, Rat, Nirvana, and Rick Springfield all have in common? They all recorded albums at a little dumpy studio in Van Nuys, California called Sound City. And I'm going to talk about that for a little bit. The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. another episode of just another fanboy my name is steven hello so last night my wife asks me if i wanted to sit down and watch a little bit of a documentary with her she's she's not the whole thing she'd been telling me about this documentary she watched called sound city and she asked hey do you want to do you want to sit down and, and watch a little bit of it with me and I was in the middle of doing things. It was it was the evening. It was part of my, you know, my evening routine was starting to uh get well and fully into swing. I'm very much a routine kind of person. And so I thought, eh, okay, I guess I'll sit down and watch a little bit with you. I still have a couple of things to do before I settle in for the evening cuz th- if there's one thing I look forward to every day, if there's one thing that I need is just a nice relax. That's what I call it, a relax. I need some time just to freaking melt into the couch, just to relax before I can go to sleep. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll sit down and I'll watch some of this with you. We were back in the bedroom. And so I kind of sat down on the bed and she started it up and uh, watched the whole thing. I don't know how long it was. I think it was two, at least two hours. Watched the entire thing. It was... So good. It was so captivating. It just touched me in a lot of different places in my heart. And uh, I'm sure a lot of that has to do with the fact that once upon a time in a former life, I was a musician. I have spent time in recording studios. Nothing like this. I, I, you know, I'm not going to try to overhype myself. I know I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat prone to delve into the realms of hyperbole, but I'm not going to do that here when it comes to my past life. Uh, you know, I played in, in, in a few little local bands. We cut some demos in some recording studios. And I think our two biggest brushes with anything was the night we uh, sort of met Michael Stipe from R.E.M. as we were standing outside of a club in downtown Kansas City after playing a gig. And then the night that we met Tech 9 in the studio who was there while we were there. Other than that, you know, just played music, man. So my wife, Karen, she tells me about this 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 documentary and she thinks she's telling me, I think you would really like it because it's all about this studio in California that is this dumpy little place and but all these just huge bands recorded there and it's just this famous place. And so like I said, I sat down and watched it and just 
just fell in love with it. So the documentary was actually made by Dave Grohl. If you're not sure who Dave Grohl is, he's the guy from the Foo Fighters. He was the drummer in Nirvana, and now he's the singer slash guitar player from the Foo Fighters. Nirvana's big album, Nevermind, the one that changed the face of rock and roll music forever, the the album that took us from hair metal to grunge metal was recorded there in Sound City. And it took them 16 days. And the throughout the, the documentary, you kind of get the story that these three guys from Seattle loaded up their van and they drive down to uh, Van Nuys, California. And they were getting, I guess, probably what, what would have at the time been a, a fairly good deal. I think that he said it was like $600 a day to go in and record. And they had heard of Sound City. A lot of big bands had had recorded albums at Sound City. But they get there and they go inside and it's like, really, this is it? It was just a dump. And yet, as you walk in, you walk along this hallway and there are all these gold and platinum records on the wall from different bands that they recorded there. And... There's something about the studio. There's the the main room, Studio A, is just this big open room, and you stick a drum kit in the middle of it. And there's something. the The room was not built. This the studio was not built. It's the building that it's in was not built specifically to be a recording studio. It was a, uh, I think it was a speaker factory, if I remember correctly. And so the room that they record drums in, and they did a lot of. Uh, live to two-track recordings, which is just the band plays and you record it and that's it. There's not a lot of going back and fixing things and overdubbing and doubling your tracks and playing 17 different guitar tracks to really thicken out that guitar sound and all that. Um, but that room, they, they, they really made a big point of making, making you understand that drums just sounded great in that room. But the room was not designed for that. It was just one of those things that just happened to be. It was just one of these little lucky things that they stuck a, a freaking drum set in the middle of this room. They mic'd it up and the way the sound filled the room and bounced off the walls and just created just this exceptional drum sound. But the other thing that the studio had going for it was the soundboard. It was a Neve soundboard. Now, I'm not, you know, yes, I was a uh, I was a musician at one point in my life, but I don't know anything about anything when it comes to uh, you know, I was a drummer. And I could tell you probably a little bit about drummer drums and 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 whatnot. But I've never been one of those gearheads. You know, our every, every guitar player I've ever played with, most bass players I've ever played with, they're all gearheads. They love to talk about the different guitars and the pickups and the amps and the different speaker setups and tube versus transistor and blah, 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 and all this stuff. And they would just, they'd sit around sometimes at practice and just talk about guitars. And I just, it just went over my head and I got bored. And I never, I guess it's kind of the, uh, it's kind of like uh, the uh, what are, what's the word I'm looking for? It's kind of like how I find myself now when it comes to stuff like comics and Monty Python and all that stuff. There's a lot of stuff in my in my life that I love, but I don't have a lot of people to really talk 
to about it. So I don't get as in-depth. I don't really just lose myself in finding out everything I can about a certain subject. The only time I'd ever really done that was with Monty Python. But with comic books, I just read the comics. I pick up things here and there. I don't retain knowledge very well. But it was this, It was kind of the same thing with, with, uh, with the drums. I had a drum set that sounded good, that I enjoyed, that I liked. I had cymbals that worked well, and I, I knew the, the cymbals that I liked, the drums that I liked, the sticks that I liked. Other than that, I wasn't reading like drumming magazines and, and learning what the new, you know, all the new tech and all this stuff. I just, I just was never that kind of person when it came to that part of, of, of music. I just, I may, you know, the old Monty Python line, I may not know much about art, but I know what I like. And that's, that's kind of what it was. So when they start talking about this soundboard and how it was built by this guy uh, whose last name was Neve and how this particular soundboard was custom ordered and custom built for the studio and how there are only like four like it in the entire world and kind of, and, and the whole point of this this documentary was that this this studio started out really small started getting some some big big name bands in there and really started to make a name for themselves and really started to get really big and making a lot of money and then digital music came along and digital recording and uh one of the sound engineers had his own studio built like next door and it was very digital using computers and all that and um Hair metal was really big at the time, and a lot of bands were were bypassing Sound City and going into this new studio because you could do a lot more. And um, so then the then the studio started to see a down a, a, a decline, and they were losing money, and and they were about to go under. And then comes Nirvana, this little band that nobody's ever heard of out of Seattle, to record this this album. And it freaking hits huge. And uh, suddenly there's a big wave of nostalgia. People, people, you know, a lot of musicians were, didn't want to do the digital thing anymore. You know, a lot of, a lot of bands, a lot of musicians, they wanted to get, get back to, uh, to uh, recording on tape, on, an- on analog. And that's what the studio was. It, was. it was an analog studio. One of the other things that they had against it before Nirvana came in is that one of the uh, big tape manufacturers that manufactured this, this two-inch reel-to-reel tape stopped making tape. And so it was harder to get tape. And, uh, but then Nirvana comes in and saves the day. Yay! But eventually... As the rise, you know, the the digital music just kept getting bigger and bigger. Um, you can now record in your own home. the 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 idea of going into a studio and recording it didn't cost as much as it used to. And so, anyway, they they go under again, and they're about to close down. Dave Grohl learns about it. And he comes back to the studio and he buys the board. He he wanted that board. So he buys the board, he takes it back to his studio, and then he records an album with a lot of these acts that had been in um, Sound City. 
Um, but and at one point in the documentary, he it's because it's really it's really quite fascinating. If if you're into uh, if you're if you're a fan of of just the creative process of music and uh, just seeing musicians come together with some basic ideas of what they want to do to write a song because because they they did this album which I I haven't gone out to look for yet. I I, I do want to want to listen to it, but. Based on what they were saying in the documentary, it's like all these guys come. You had like Paul McCartney and uh, Stevie Nicks. There were others whose whose names are escaping me. But they 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 come in with with maybe an idea, maybe some lyrics. Um, at least some of these dudes, and they just come in and they write the song there in the studio, and it's just it's just really amazing to watch. Um, and one of the big things when Paul McCartney came in is that. Uh, throughout the throughout the documentary, um, Dave Grohl mentions once or twice that um, I think what he says is if it wouldn't if it wouldn't have been for the Beatles, he never would have become a musician. The Beatles were what made him want to play music, and so if it wasn't for the Beatles, he never would have been a musician. And if it wasn't for that board, that Neve board. He never would be in the position that he's in now. It was because of that studio and more specifically that board because there was a certain sound that you could get out of that room through that board that just people weren't getting anywhere else. Um, and if it wasn't for that board, he would not be where he is now. And then all that came together with him on drums, uh, the bass player from Nirvana playing bass, and uh, then Pat... Let's see Chris Novoselic, I think, was the bass player. Pat Smear, who is who's the other guitar player in uh, Foo Fighters, they're all just jamming with freaking Paul McCartney. And at one point, um, it's funny because we're watching it. At one point, uh, the producer that they were using, Butch Vig, he's an engineer slash producer. He comes he he comes out of the 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 sound booth. He comes into the to the studio, the main room. And they're talking about this song that they're working on. And he's, he's, he's at one point, he says, well, maybe I think um, you should go back to that A a second time because it's, it really rises up a level. And it's, it's really nice there at that one point in the song. But then maybe you should do it again. And I'm like, look at you. Who are you telling Paul McCartney how to write a freaking song? And I, I say it jokingly. And Karen's like, yeah, just wait. And uh, so, no, no, Paul McCartney didn't tell him to shut up and go sit down. He's Paul McCartney. You don't tell me how to write a song. But as they progress further with this song, they go, you're in the sound booth with the engineer, the, the, the producer and there, there, uh, a couple of guys in there, they're talking and, and, uh, it's like, well, yeah, I think, uh, maybe if they did this, I think I really like it if they did this. And then the other guy says, yeah, we're going to tell Paul McCartney how to write a song. And I'm like, that's right. You, you just, you don't tell Paul McCartney how to write a song. The no, the dude knows what he's doing. And, but I was just sitting there watching that thinking, oh my gosh, imagine that I was Dave Grohl getting to jam with freaking Paul McCartney. And I think my favorite line of the entire documentary was they, they finish up something that they're working on with the song. They're, 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 you know, they, they end the song at one point as they're working on it. And Dave Grohl just looks at Paul McCartney. He goes, man, 
that was just, it just came together so well. It was just, it was just so easy. And Paul McCartney says, it's always easy. And I was like, yeah, it is. You're Paul McCartney, man. And uh, I just loved it. It was such a good documentary. They talked to a lot of different musicians. If you're, if you're a music guy, music girl, if you like music, if, if, uh, if you're just a fan of music and rock and roll, I would really suggest checking this thing out. You can get it on uh, Amazon Prime. It's also where else did I see it? You if you if you have Vudu, you can you can watch it for free on Vudu, and I think you can watch it for free on um, Tubi TV. Um, and again, I think I'm pretty sure you can stream it for free if you're an Amazon Prime member. Um, it was it was made in 2013. It was a great great documentary just about the love of music and really the love of analog. Here's the thing. I'm not, I'm not opposed to digital music. I think one of the things that digital music, the, 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 you know, recording digitally, I think one of the, one of the great things about that is that anybody can, can write a song, record it and get it out there for all the world to listen to all in their, from their own home. I think that's a great thing. I think, unfortunately, that it means just because anybody can do it, there's a lot of stuff out there that maybe shouldn't be. But you know what? It's the same thing with with freaking podcasting. You know, anybody can do it now. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe I shouldn't be doing it. But you can, and it provides you with this platform to just be creative and, and get stuff out there. Now, at the same time, one of the arguments that they make in in the uh, in in the documentary is that the thing with analog, the thing with twenty four track recording, is that you you have limitations. And the best, you know, the argument they kept making is the greatest music out there was created with limitations. And once you start taking away those limitations, once you start going into a project knowing that. If it's if it doesn't sound quite the way you know you want it to, you can tweak it. You can add more. You know, it's like with twenty four tracks, that's it. You can only do so much. And when I think about a lot of the bands that I that I used to really be into, and I would listen to their first album when they were just this small little known band, and they go into a recording studio with, um, you know not much money and they throw an album together and it just freaking rocks. I'm thinking of specifically one the one out uh band that comes to mind right away is Motley Crue. Their very first album uh Too Fast for Love is was not it's not a big budget album and you can tell and it rocks. But then as they progress, as they get more famous and their more money is thrown into the studio and they spend more time in the studio the albums just lose something. And I always, I always used to play it off as, oh, now this, you know, the bands, they become an artist and they have to, they have to make their art and they're, they're, they don't want to rock anymore. They just, they want to make their art. But no, it's because they have no limitations and they just keep adding and adding and adding to the music and it loses something. And it's, I do believe in that. I, I can, I've seen it myself and I, I understand it and I get it. Um, I think there was a whole message throughout the documentary, though, that was to a certain extent very anti-digital, which I, you know, I'm not behind that. Uh, But 
at the same time, they make a really good point as far as the limitations that you have with a 24-track recorder in the studio, analog to tape, uh, versus a computer that will let you do whatever you want to do. If you want to keep adding to it, here's a good example. Let's take, let's switch it over to movies. Star Wars is a great movie. There were certain things that George Lucas wanted to do when he first made Star Wars that he couldn't do because of money, the budget wasn't there, and because the technology wasn't there. Once he, once the technology was there, he went back and he quote unquote fixed that movie. And now it's not nearly as good as it used to be. That's, that's the trouble. That's, I guess, the, the curse of digital, of being able to do everything you want to do. And it's something that I have been thinking about a lot recently with the Stephen or Else podcast because I have switched over from doing one episode every week to two episodes a month so that I can, so that I can take a little more time with it. And I toyed with the idea of going monthly. I even toyed with the idea of only releasing an episode when I felt it was ready. But then I started to think about there's something to be said about coming up with something at the last minute, going into the studio and just throwing it together and releasing it. Sometimes you do that and you just produce crap. But sometimes you do that and you just produce gold. You can really overthink and overwork an idea and end up taking what was a great idea and turning it into crap because you've, you, you, you've tried to make it perfect. And I really liked that message in this, in this documentary about working with limitations and what limitations will give you. And in, 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 in many cases, it's going to give you something good. Anyway, I urge you to go watch the documentary. Like I said, Amazon Prime, uh, 2B TV. Uh, if you're, I think I even saw that if you have a, a Hoopla account, you can get it through Hoopla. And then Voodoo, uh, you can watch free on Voodoo. Sound City, check it out. I'm Steven. I'm Just Another Fanboy. Be nice to each other. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Steven or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stevenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stevenrr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stevenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stevenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets If you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 